This is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used for preaching at the First Free Methodist Church of Seattle, where I serve as pastor, or anyone looking to dive deeper into the Bible. Today's passage is Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. It's the text that will be used in the sermon at First Free Methodist Church on September 18, 2022. This is the second in a five-week series called Back to Basics, as we explore some of the very essentials of the Christian life. This particular passage of Scripture opens with Jesus in a series of arguments with religious leaders. And those with whom he is arguing are called Sadducees and others are called Pharisees. These are two different religious communities within the first century uh, in the Jewish community. The, the Pharisees are what we would commonly understand even today as a form of rabbinic Judaism, uh, the kind of Judaism that's taught uh, in local synagogues, the kind of Judaism that is a, a kind of a living exposition of the Jewish law, especially as contained in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. The Sadducees, on the other hand, a different religious community within Judaism, were much more focused on the rituals and the rites surrounding Jewish worship in the temple. Many of us haven't heard of the Sadducees in particular because there hasn't been a Jewish temple since about 69 AD. So over 1900 years, there's been no Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And so the practices of the Sadducees are somewhat known, but are a little mysterious, whereas the Pharisees... Um, are really the uh, the ancestors, if you will, of rabbinic Judaism that we know today and their rigorous devotion to Jewish law. The question that's asked here by one of the Pharisees is not a generous question, but it's actually a hostile question. There's a way in which Jesus is being tested uh, in this question about what the greatest commandment in the law might be. Uh, in verse 36, it says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? There was quite a controversy in Jesus' day about the hierarchy of the Jewish commandments. There's over 600 of them listed throughout Scripture. And then in addition to that, there is a voluminous amount of information written by Jewish scholars up to Jesus' day about what those various laws and codes meant. And there was a variety of addition, additional traditions added on to those Jewish laws. So it was quite the controversy in Jesus's day about establishing some kind of hierarchy for Jewish law. And this is the test that Jesus finds himself in. What they're trying to do, at least in this conversation, the the lawyer in this case, probably one of the more advanced Pharisees, asks Jesus this question as a way of determining what camp Jesus might be in so he can determine whether he's going to agree with Jesus or not agree with Jesus. Jesus's response that's in verse 37 of Matthew chapter 22 is clear, and it's lifted from one of the most familiar passages in the Bible for any Jewish person of Jesus's day, and to be honest, any Jewish person today. It's lifted from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's a familiar passage called the Shema. It's recited, at least in the time of Jesus, twice a day by the Jewish community. Uh, Shema is the the Hebrew word for hear, and it's the first word in this particular passage in Deuteronomy 6, hear, O Israel, shema, the word for hear. So um, Jesus 
recites a passage of scripture that everyone is going to know. And he basically tells them that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Jesus moves to an explanation of the greatest commandment as of being love. And love, uh, at least within the Jewish context and the Jewish understanding, is not an overly emotional or a completely intellectual word. Love within the Jewish context, not within the, the Greek context of the language that the book of Matthew is written in, but in the Jewish context, for those who are hearing Jesus say this, Love is more a matter of will, a joyful obedience. It's somewhat hard to grasp in our language and culture because for us, love is oftentimes loaded with some uh, kind of emotional meaning. And while this nuance is certainly there within Jewish thought, the idea of love as a matter of will and thought is important. And Jesus says this love uh, is expressed in three different ways, that we're to love with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Now, when Jesus answers this same question in other Gospels, the way he answers the question is slightly different. It has a little nuance to it. And in Matthew's Gospel, it's heart, soul, and mind. So if you went back and picked up Deuteronomy 6 in your Bible and went and read this passage, it wouldn't necessarily say heart, soul, and mind. This is where Matthew's mix of what Jesus has to say comes into play. And in Matthew's day, when this Gospel was written late in the first century, there was a controversy in the in the Jewish community between the Jews who lived abroad in the Greek-speaking world, who kind of had an understanding of heart, soul, and mind, versus Palestinian Jews, those who lived in and around Palestine or the Holy Land, and their understanding. And they were kind of competing views. Not only were there competing views between the religious communities of the Sadducees and Pharisees, the Jewish community around the ancient world was in a bit of division about this, whether you were a Jewish person in, uh, scattered abroad in the Greek-speaking world or whether you were located there in Palestine. And, and so this response of Jesus really talks about internal realities. And that's what's important to notice here is notice that heart, soul, mind, these are all internal realities about will, about being, about conscience. There's little notion of externalizing. What I mean by that is the love Jesus is describing here is one that takes place within us, but it doesn't necessarily find its way out of us. And so there's a way in which Jesus describes this that he could have gone on and on and on with this list of internal realities, but heart, soul, and mind suffice to understand what Jesus is speaking of in this notion of love. That opens a key passageway to us here, that the love of God as Jesus is explaining it, is the foundation of experiencing any true and faithful love. The experience of the love of God, both received by us, in other words, the love of God directed toward us, and the love of God offered by us, is seminal. It's the very beginning of our journey of spiritual life in God. Love is Love today is driven by so many popular cultural forces. This is a love that Jesus is explaining within this Jewish context is grounded. It's universal. It really is the beginning of love. It, it's not just heat and light. It's actually the fire of all things. And this kind of love perfects morals and ethics. And everything flows from the center of love within Jewish life. That, 
that cannot be overstated, that the love of God is the foundation of experiencing true and faithful love anywhere else, both as we receive that love and as we offer that love. This is not the complete answer to the question, though. Jesus makes it clear that the the great and foremost commandment is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. But he adds something here in verse 39. He says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the whole of the law and the prophets, Jesus says. So let's just focus on the love of neighbor, the second piece Jesus adds. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This second statement of Jesus is surprising because no one had really ever placed these two imperatives of scripture, these two laws next to each other before. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. So hold on to that just for a moment, the the combination of these two things. Let's just talk about the love of neighbor for a moment. The Jewish community in Jesus's day and, and even in contemporary our contemporary world had a means of ordering the commandments. And Jesus jumps to an unusual place in this ordering. So remember, in the first part of what Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Notice those were all internal things. There was no externalization. So in Matthew's explanation of what Jesus has to say here, the only externalization of the love of God is now in loving neighbor. Matthew's audience, the people to whom Matthew wrote this gospel, would have understood the neighbor as being universal, all-encompassing. In other words, everybody's a neighbor. And even we ourselves are neighbor. So Jesus, in this answer, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, he draws from Leviticus chapter 19, a different passage in the Torah. And this text is specifically about, of course, the love of neighbor. So how are we to love our neighbor? Well, it's qualified to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so you have to weigh this out a little bit. There's a, a, an idea of a healthy form of self-love, in which case we see ourselves as God sees us and loves us, versus an unhealthy self-love, as we would see ourselves in the space of, say, self-absorption or self-indulgent. These are very different spaces, a healthy self-love versus an unhealthy self-love, that we're to love our neighbor in a way that's consistent with the way we should be loving ourselves. So the the text assumes a healthy self-love. It wouldn't make sense for Jesus to say to a group of people who he knows have very little self-love that they should love their neighbor as themselves. It's almost like he would then be saying that you're to love others as poorly as you love yourself. No, Jesus is making an affirmation here about the way in which we are to embrace and understand who we are as being loved by God and those who love God. And that changes the way we love our neighbor. We love our neighbor, in a sense, through that sort of lens. So the text assumes a healthy self-love here. And we're really uh, indebted as we do more thinking about this text, especially in the 21st century, because we have some fantastic emerging theologians, both in feminist theology and in womanist theology, that are helping us understand what this space looks like. And that opens up a key passageway to us here, that the love of neighbor must mirror the priority and place we put on ourselves. And what this means, at least the way feminist and womanist theologies are helping us understand this, is that this notion of self-love is hard to grapple with 
since we're so entangled in our own ego. So the idea here is to calibrate our love for others correctly, truthfully, and accurately. There's a way in which we need to see ourselves as being loved by God because it then becomes, in a sense, the maximum and the minimum in which we can love others. So there's a lot more dependent here on just our own self-love in a healthy sort of way. The way in which we understand and love ourselves is going to really uh, correlate or calibrate how we love others. So this is an important space for us to be in today. It's really a triad of sorts here, that the love for self, the love for others, and the love for God are all in this answer of Jesus. And that really takes us to the final place for today. And that why are these two commandments placed together? What's unique about Jesus's answer to the lawyer that quizzes him is how Jesus puts these two quotations of scripture together, that you shall love the Lord to your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God and experiencing that love are foundational. So Jesus goes here first when he cites Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. Then Jesus says that loving neighbor is the extension of that love. And that love of others or that love of neighbor is held to a critical standard. And the critical standard is the love of self. No Jewish teacher had ever put these two commandments together in the same way. So the innovation of Jesus is not the citation of either one of these texts. What makes this particular passage so well-known and so famous is that Jesus combines them together into one teaching. Now, other Jewish teachers had talked about the love of neighbor as an important commandment, but they had usually, before the time of Jesus, talked about it in negation. In other words, how you shouldn't uh, treat your neighbor poorly. In other words, Jesus is framing it in the affirmative. So there has been a move within some theological communities to see these two commandments as the same thing or synonymous with each other, that the love of God and the love of neighbor is the same thing. The problem here for us is that this devolves quickly into a form of moralism in which we, we have the ethic of Jesus without Jesus. And no, there's, there's a clear and relational connection between these three, the love of God, love of self, and self, love of neighbor. They are not the same things, but they move together in a synergy. In other words, they, they move in relationship to each other and, and create momentum between them, that our capacity to love neighbor is defined about our capacity to love self. The love of self is defined by how God, how God loves us and we love God. Those who love God will then love neighbor. That's Jesus's intent here. So imagine for a moment how we might read the two, com the Ten Commandments framed by these two commandments. Uh, imagine how every law of God, over 600 of them in uh, the Jewish scriptures, how would they be framed by these two commandments? So what Jesus has offered here in many ways is a masterpiece of summing up all of Jewish theology in these two commandments. And that opens a key passageway to us, that every relationship is experienced 
best in the context of love. And, and by love, what we mean is um, these ways in which we define our relationships through duty, loyalty, trust, obedience, mercy, etc. There, there's a way in which all of those can be framed by love. The problem that we face, though, in contemporary society is that because we have romanticized and sexualized love, we often fear it too much, especially within a, a, a American culture. Our, our form of latent Puritanism starts to kick in all of a sudden, and we, we have a hard time understanding love outside of its romantic and sexualized uh, iteration. Jesus invites us to reframe all of our human relationships and experience into this new way of being. Friendships, marriage, co-working, even strangers are framed by this new lens of the love of God, love of self, love of others. So perhaps a key passageway for us to think about is how every relationship is experienced best in the context of love. Perhaps we need to say, I love you much more often than we do. That's it for this week. If you have comments or reflections, I invite you to visit my website, revcraig.com. Just click on the news button in the upper right corner, and then you'll see a pop-up menu that takes you down to podcast. Click on that, and then click on the particular episode you'd like to leave a comment for, and there's a space there for you to leave any kind of feedback. I'd love to hear from you in that space, so please do leave a comment. I'll also invite you to visit our church's website, FFMC, for First Free Methodist Church, ffmc.org, to learn more about free Methodism and how you can connect with our community. For now, I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.